Good morning. So we're about midway uh, through our session practice. And because uh, this is the first time uh, in a couple of years that we're back to garrison uh, in person, uh, it's been kind of a moving experience for me and kind of nostalgic. And uh, I was telling uh, Roshi earlier that uh, it makes me think of uh, when I really first started uh, practicing. And, uh, you know, I'd been reading about Zen for five, ten years. Uh, and then one day I got a postcard uh, from Zen Mountain Monastery advertising a writer's workshop. And uh, I s said, oh, well, it's the middle of February. I, I, I don't want to go all the way up to the Catskills. And uh, Karinik said, no, no, you should go. You know, you're interested in Zen and uh, you're a writer, so why don't you go to the writer's workshop? Uh, so I went, and uh, we have some first-timers here, so you can probably uh, sympathize with what I went through, which was, there was, it was like Garrison, it was this big pile up in the Catskills. There were weird-looking people running around in robes who all seemed to uh, know some kind of secret code uh, that was a total mystery to me. Uh, and by the end of spending an hour or two there, uh, I, I was pretty darn intimidated and wondering <laughs> whether I should stay at all. I said, yeah, this is too weird. I'm, I'm really getting creeped out here. Uh, and then I sat down to lunch, and really the first person I had a conversation with, a real conversation up there, happened to be Joshin, who was in residence up there. And those of you know, who know Joshin uh, Roshi know that it's uh, a big part of her practice uh, to make people uh, feel welcome and included. And that did not just start uh, a year or two ago. That goes all the way back to my first encounter with her. And uh, after talking with her uh, over lunch for a little while, I said, well, she seems kind of normal. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, if she says this is okay, maybe I can stick it out. And so I went to the writer's workshop, which wasn't any big deal. Uh, uh, you know, you could have had the same thing at any junior college. But what I really liked was the Zazen. And I con became convinced from uh, doing Zazen in a rather impressive setting like this, 
you know, the reading isn't going to do it for me. I, I have to practice. And so I decided to begin a Zen practice. And I made a note of the date because I thought it was an auspicious occasion. I, February 16th, 1989 was the day I began my Zen practice. Well, of course, uh, being a beginner, uh, you know, I thought February 16th was very significant. I thought the beginning of Rio's practice, so this was Rio setting himself on the road to enlightenment. Uh, but of course, uh, that's just a very small-minded way of looking at practice. Actually, uh, uh, my practice was totally facilitated by Joshin's practice, by my encounter with her. I might not have made it through to that point if she had not been the first person I met at that practice center. Uh, and Joshin's practice uh, was facilitated by all the people at uh, Zen Mountain Monastery. Uh, uh, my practice was later facilitated at my first session by Ankyo, who drove me up. Uh, and I wasn't prepared how horrible, for how horrible that experience would be. <laughs> but at the end, uh, Ankyo said, ah, I can see it in your eyes. I went, what? <laughs> Uh, the, the monastery abbot was uh, Dido, uh, Dido Sensei at the time. His practice had been facilitated by Maizumi Roshi, whose practice had been facilitated by Koryu Roshi and his father, uh, Bayan Hagajin. Uh, so we see that the ripples of practice extend almost on infinitum. And this is uh, precisely what Dogen tells us about practice. Uh, what he stresses is that practice is continuous without beginning and without end. So it'd be as accurate to say that uh, my practice was facilitated by Shakyamuni Buddha. In fact, Dogen would say that my practice was actualizing the practice of Shakyamuni Buddha. So we see that our practice isn't just you know, a little thing that I'm doing to get enlightened or whatever we think we're doing. Uh, our practice is the practice of everything at this moment. Dogen goes so far as to say, uh, because of this practice, there is the sun, the moon, and the stars. They're all practicing. They're all gleaming with here, us here at this moment. Uh, because of the practice, 
of the sun, I have a chance to be alive and practice here because of the practice of the earth. Uh, I have a chance to eat of the earth's bounty at uh, Garrison Institute and practice here. This practice has no beginning and has no end. So although conventionally, we might say Rio started his practice on February 16th, 1989, his practice is really unborn. It had no particular beginning and his practice is undying. It will have no particular end. So basically, we live in a sea of practice as an orchestra of practice where all the instruments are playing in harmony with each other. Uh, sometimes we feel we can detect the harmony. Sometimes uh, it seems like things are outrageous and discordant. And yet the harmony is always there. Everything is interpenetrated. Your practice is the actualization, not just of what you're doing here, but of my practice, of Shakyamuni's practice, of Dogen Zenji's practice. And because practice is limitless and has no beginning or end, you actualize the practice right here and now of Shakyamuni and Dogen Zenji. Right here and now, just by what you're doing. It's just uh, by convention, we say a before and after. It's all happening now. Right now, we are actualizing Shakyamuni's practice and the practice of all the Buddhas and ancestors at this moment of being time. We are actualizing the practice of the sun, the moon, and the stars at this moment of being time. So, because we are practicing continually, uh, and that's not just formal Zen practice, uh, we've been feeding ourselves for a long time, we've been brushing our teeth, we've been driving hope hopefully on the right side of the road and not the left side since we're in the United States. Since we've been practicing continually, we have the opportunity to wake up and realize the way at every moment of our lives to actualize the practice of the Buddhas and ancestors at every moment of our lives. Well, how do we do this? Just by taking care of this very moment, whatever it is. Chanting this chant, ringing this bell, 
cleaning this floor. It doesn't really feel special and magnificent until we open our minds and think about the implications of all the practice that had to have taken place for us to chant this chant, sweep this floor, ring this bell. Uh, not to mention our foundational practice of zazen. When we uh, practice zazen, we have a wonderful opportunity to appreciate the universal interpenetrating practice that Dogen Zenji is talking about. So we might sit uh, with the idea that we're supposed to get to some goal, uh, uh, peacefulness, enlightenment. I, I don't know how you phrase it to yourself. But what we actually encounter in our sitting is our, you know, our thoughts. We say that there are thoughts, uh, but very quickly we realize, well, there's something screwy about that because I don't have any control over them at all because I don't want to have a lot of thoughts, and yet I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that. Uh, my neuroses are barking at me constantly. I don't want any of that, and yet it's happening. So if those are my thoughts, why is that happening? Why can't I be peaceful? I'm sitting here in meditation. Well, those thoughts that keep squirting out of our brains are nothing but Dogen's universal practice of the way. And when we let those thoughts go, as we become aware, that is nothing but Dogen's universal practice of the way. And as we do this, we notice something very odd. It's because these thoughts are continually erupting that we also notice that there's someone we don't know who, we don't know what, who's observing the thoughts. Clear, peaceful, undisturbed, no matter all the crazy stuff that's coming through, or the nice stuff sometimes that's coming through, whether it's nice, whether it's crazy. The observer stays calm and clear, unmoved, no matter what's passing through our heads. Of course, then we want to attach and say, oh, well, this observer, this is the real deal. Well, no, the observer and our crazy, busy minds are co-created. Each of them equally is the unsurpassed practice of the way as it unfolds. 
moment by moment. So far from despising our busy neurotic thoughts, we should be grateful. Without them, we wouldn't realize the great peace. They come together. Uh, in a similar way, uh, uh, I think all of us have noticed that these sessions, this ango, this peaceful dwelling, is a hell of a lot of work. Uh, a lot of devoted practice is going on. Uh, people studying liturgy. Uh, uh, I was saying to Echo uh, the other day, uh, who was filling in uh, as Jisha, uh, gee, you're, you're being Jisha, you monitor, your work leader. Uh, there's been a lot of that going on because some people have been ill and have not been able to come here. So much devoted practice to make this happen, packing the zendo, loading the truck, and I remember at my early sessions, boy, I, I could really get peaceful if, if I didn't have all these jobs to do. Wow, like Joshin Roshi said, uh, she's having this cathartic emotional experience and the first thing they do is hand her a broom. Well, I think all of us had had the opportunity to notice that just as in our zazen, the intense effort moment by moment that it requires to put this session together also creates the opportunity for great peace. Probably all of us have experienced that great peace at some moment, not in spite of all the effort and busyness, but because one does not arrive without the other. Or as they say in Buddhist technical jargon, uh, no samsara, no nirvana. So I just want to express gratitude for all the hard work that went into creating this peaceful dwelling, this opportunity to realize the great peace of the Buddhas and ancestors. Once again, my practice is actualized by your devoted practice and vice versa, although I'm not aware of how my practice is really helping anyone. I just take that on faith. I don't have to be aware of it. It's not important. It's good enough to be here with you now. So uh, there's a little story in uh, the Annals of Layman Pong uh, that I think really gets 
at these various aspects of continuous practice in the circle of the way and how we experience it. So um, the Pong family is sitting uh, in their little meditation hut. Uh, and even though they're probably sitting very devotedly in Zazen, uh, Layman Pang can't help but cry out, it's difficult, difficult, difficult. I've already coated this meditation platform with 10 coats of linseed oil. Well, I can certainly relate to that. I mean, how much goddamn zazen do I have to do over and over and over, year after year? How much chanting do I have to do? How many sessions? Not to mention all the housework that I have to do every day. Why do I have to vacuum this damn floor? Tomorrow it's going to be dirty again, and I'm going to have to vacuum it again. It's difficult, difficult, difficult. But then uh, I remember what Roshi says uh, when she does the Jukai ceremony uh, and uh, sprinkles uh, the water from the Shaswiki on us all with the little pine branch. Remember that if you've seen it? She goes, everything is new and fresh. I think Maizumi Roshi said that too. So it's our inheritance from him. Everything is new and fresh. The second coat of linseed oil is a brand new coat. This breath is a breath that has never been taken before and will never be taken again. So we have the opportunity to realize ourselves in each moment, fresh and new, dying and being reborn in every moment. Not dramatic, we take it for granted. And yet there it is. The next Zazen period was going to be completely different from the Zazen period we sat this morning. So our minds, which tend to generalize, go, oh, it's all the same bullshit. That's what makes it difficult. We think there's a self that carries forward and has to do things over and over again, whereas the reality is we're being created by this moment of zazen, by this moment of vacuuming. There's no self beyond that. Well, of course, uh, Mrs. Pong is not going to buy anything the layman happens to be spouting. So she says, no, it's easy, easy, easy. All you have to do is lower your eyes to the floor, put your feet down on it, 
and go on your way. And this points to another aspect. Yeah, all you have to do is, when the bell rings, bow and take your seat. Sit on your cushion for half an hour. When the bell rings, get up. When the blocks clack, do kinhin. And the next thing you know, the middle of session will have turned into the end of session. Happens all by itself. You don't have to push it, pull it, distort it in any way. You don't have to make your heart beat or the sun shine or any of that. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy. It's a done deal. It's not hidden. And finally, the daughter, Ling Chao, says, contradicting both her parents, it's neither difficult nor easy. The mind of the ancestors is in every blade of grass. Every blade of grass. So the, uh, the blade of grass, uh, she might be quoting according to the footnote from uh, the poem Faith in Mind by the third ancestor, Song San who uh, in that poem, he says, uh, in the great vast Tao, there is neither ease nor difficulty. That's no, easy enough to see. These are just labels we slap on our various experiences. No labels, and there's neither ease nor difficulty. There's just this moment of bliss just this moment of horrendous agony. Actualizing our practice and the practice of all the Buddhas and ancestors. Uh, so there's a couple of stories about grass, uh, which is considered to be, uh, you know, samsara, the delusions the dust that gets on the floor, uh, the thoughts that pop up in our heads that we don't like and think we're supposed to be getting rid of, uh, all that stuff. And uh, one of the stories is uh, uh, Shakyamuni and Indra, the king of the gods, are walking along and Shakyamuni pauses at random on the road, smiles, points down and says, this would be a good place to build a temple. And Indra plucks a blade of grass, plants it on the road and says, there, the temple is built. Dogen Zenji says, between aspiration, practice, realization, and enlightenment, there isn't a moment's gap. It's not something that happens 
when you've been practicing 15 or 20 years and you hit it exactly right. It's something that's happening right now. Right at this moment. If we're paying attention. This is where we build our temple. Not some fantasy idealized saccharine landscape, but right here in the midst of suffering, delusion, insecurity, pain, neurosis, right here. We realize this blade of grass in the temple is already built. There's another story about uh, uh, Sudana and Manjusri, the god of wisdom. Uh, Manjusri asked Sudana, uh, go uh, gather some wild herbs. Uh, and while you're at it, bring, bring me something that is not medicine. And Sudana goes off and very quickly he returns and he says, he looked, I've looked and looked, but uh, I can't find anything which is not medicine. Manjushri says, all right, well, Bring me something that is medicine. Sudana picks up a blade of grass. The healing is already in the illness. The recovery is already in the grief. But how hard it is to trust the ceaseless circle of practice that Dogen Zenji tells us about and how difficult it is not to be swirled around by our own grasping and aversion. We, we are of this earth. We are of this planet. We are of this universe. We are not separate from any of them innately. We know how to do this thing called human life. If we would just get out of our own way and in a way that's uh, what we do here we get out of our way, own way, and we just practice. We have a schedule. We don't have to like it, dislike it. We just have to show up when it's time for Zaza and when it's time for work practice. In that respect, it's easy, easy, easy. There's a koan about medicine and disease. Uh, Yunmin said, medicine 
and disease subdue each other, where will you find the self? What is the self? So I'll leave you with that question. If you know that medicine and disease are not two, that pain and joy are not two, that life and death are not two, that delusion and enlightenment are not two, that medicine and disease subdue each other, then what is yourself? What is yourself? Ah. Uh.